Episode 38. Welcome, GNN fans, to another episode of God Network News, the podcast that tells you what God's doing around the world, not what CNN tells you, but what GNN tells you is going on in the world. If you're tired of listening to all of that crisis network news and you want to hear what God's doing, well, give us a listen. This podcast is proudly listed at podcastpickle.com. In this episode of GNN, uh, we will be continuing with our reading of chapters from the new book, There's a Sheep in My Bathtub. And I hope that you're enjoying listening to these chapters. And again, this is our gift to you, our faithful listeners, as a free audio book to you of this really fantastic, really exciting, new and innovative book that has come out by Brian Hogan. And again, in the show notes, you can find a hot link to where you can get your own hard copy of that if you wish. One of our sponsors is GoDaddy.com. And GoDaddy.com has just recently told us that we could give you a special deal. If you click on the GoDaddy.com icon on our website and go to GoDaddy.com, anything that you purchase there, you can get a 10% discount if you put our promo code in there. Our promo code is CJC and then the word SAVE and the number 10. Again, that's C-J-C-S-A-V-E and the number 10. And then you'll get 10% discount off of anything that you order through GoDaddy.com. Visit GoDaddy.com today and get all of your internet needs taken care of. And so we want to thank you for being faithful listeners to us. Uh, We're trying to continue to give you good content here, something that is really worthwhile to listen to and take the time to listen to. Please do send us a comment, send us an email, something to encourage us, or just to even let us know what you'd like to be listening to. So again, our website URL is www.godnews.podomatic.com. Again, that's www.godnews.podomatic.com. That's our website. Please go to that. You'll find lots of other free resources and good materials on there. And the show notes, of course, are on there. And we give you hot links to where you can even send us an audio message if you'd like to. And we'd love to play that over our next episodes. So please go ahead and leave us an audio comment or just send us a an email message there as well. You can do that and take advantage again of all of our hot links to our friends, our other podcast friends that do help us a lot 
And of course, we again want to thank you and say God bless you to those of you that have been so faithfully following us. So let's go ahead and listen right now to There's a Sheep in My Bathtub. Chapter 5. It'd Take a Miracle. Have fun storming the castle. Think it'll work? It'd take a miracle. From Rob Reiner's film, The Princess Bride. Impossible is the strongest border guard. Mason Cooley. In January 1993, we were embarking on what turned out to be a veritable hurdle course toward Mongolia. The first signs things were not going to be as smooth as we had hoped came as we received several reports from inside Mongolia that the government there was tightening up on granting visas to foreigners, lacking an economic reason to be there. Namely, us. Also at this time, Magnus and Maria, the young Swedish leaders of the church planting team we hoped to join, faxed us to relate that the Bible translator in Ulaanbaatar, who had promised us visas, had severed ties with our team. We began to pray fervently for another entry approach. We were sure God had called us to go to Mongolia and plant churches at this time, so he would open another door. We shared this need in an intercessory prayer group on the YWAM base, and several received words from God that we were to go into Mongolia through a door we hadn't even considered. I was puzzled by this guidance. Time was running out to apply with someone else or form a relationship with a new organization. Youth with a mission had no official status in Mongolia, and so wasn't an option. How could we go through a door we didn't know about? Later that week, Louise and I were considering our predicament, and I remembered Jim Bond. I'd met Jim at the YWAM consultation on Mongolia I had attended in Hong Kong. His company had placed many Christian workers in Asian creative access countries through their business and teaching contracts. I told Louise that Jim had recently placed several workers in Mongolia and maybe a call to him would give us some ideas on how to get in. Louise had an immediate and powerful sense we needed to telephone Jim right then. Within ten minutes we were connected with him in Hong Kong and marveling at God's timing. It was late in Salem, Oregon, but business hours in Hong Kong, and we caught Jim right between trips to Mongolia and India. He had just secured six English teaching contracts in a Mongolian city called Erdenet. Magnus and Maria Alphonse, the Swedish couple I'd met at the consultation, and whose church planning vision matched ours so exactly, were splitting one of the contracts. We could have the other. This was the answer to our prayers for a church planning team that would live close enough to really function as a team. Magnus had mentioned in his facts Erdnet was a field white unto harvest. The name was Mongolian for precious or treasure, and we all had a sense that God was planning on pouring out a precious treasure in Erdnet that would bless all of Mongolia and beyond. The Trans-Pacific phone line fairly hummed with the excitement that built as we put everything together with Jim. At the start of 1993, Erdnet was a completely unreached city with no fellowship of believers exactly what we had been praying for. As we spoke with Jim, though, we noticed obstacles. Jim's organization, under which we would serve if we took their Erdnet contract, had scheduled a mandatory training in Hong Kong for the first part of February, and the contract was set to start right after training. The problem was that months before, I had committed to teach in three perspectives courses in Oregon and Washington, These obligations would keep us stateside until February 17th, 
Yet the English teaching contract for Airdenet started two days before we could even leave the USA. Louise made it clear she felt moving a family with three young children into one of the world's coldest climates in the dead of winter was crazy. Jim suggested we might want to wait until the next semester began in September. I certainly didn't want to just twiddle our thumbs in Salem for another nine months. We had no home and had sold everything to attend the schools. After we were no longer students, we had no place to stay in Salem. The excitement that had been building during the call quickly fizzled. Jim promised he and his board would pray about our situation, and he'd let us know. As we trudged back to our dorm room, it seemed as if we'd found our door, only to have it slam shut in our faces. Once again, it was obviously time to go back to God with this whole thing. As we prayed together, we felt that we should lay out all these obstacles before God. If He wanted us to go in February, I would need to fulfill my teaching commitments in the Pacific Northwest, be excused from the mandatory training in Hong Kong, and have the Foreign Language Institute in Erdenet agree to let us start teaching a week late. Louise agreed that if all these three came together, God was behind this foolish winter move. A little over a week later, Jim returned from India and faxed us that the board had accepted us for service even without the training, and FLI had agreed to let us delay our employment. We would have two days with Jim in Hong Kong for a personal orientation. We were going to Mongolia. We booked four tickets for February 17th, the day after my final teaching engagement in Seattle, Washington. One advantage the state had was that it beat Alice's second birthday by 11 days, saving us from having to buy her a ticket. Our flights would take us from Seattle to Vancouver, B.C., and then on to Hong Kong for our two-day layover with Jim. From there, we would head for Beijing, China, where we would need to get airline tickets into Mongolia and Mongolian visas. There were no travel agents who, should, who could sell tickets for Miat, the national airline, and Mongolia had, as yet, no embassy in the U.S., we had no idea how long we'd have to stay in Beijing, but we were praying that it would be only a few days at the most. A longer stay in that expensive city would quickly devour our small moving fund. Purchasing the tickets seemed to trigger an avalanche of discouraging reports from Mongolia. Several missionary friends faxed to tell us of the horrible winter the country was facing. Temperatures of negative 34 degrees Celsius negative 30 Fahrenheit, and municipal central heating equipment in danger of permanent malfunction were testing the resolve of even field-hardened workers in the capital city. The cold wouldn't be our most pressing problem, however. Mongolia was also in the grips of the worst food shortage ever. The harvest in 1992 had failed, and the Russian subsidies, once the mainstay of the Mongolian economy, had dried up. We were further warned housing was almost impossible to secure. This bleak picture was not a huge worry for us. We encouraged ourselves with the story of the ten spies with a bad report on the promised land and the opposite outlook of faith Joshua and Caleb maintained. Mongolia was the land God had promised us. Besides, we were going in as English teachers and our contract would provide for food ration cards, an apartment, and of course our visas. All was well until... I received a call from Jim in Hong Kong. The contracts in Erdnet had fallen through for this semester. When Magnus had gone up to sign the contracts, the school had balked at the idea of finding food and housing for a family of five. They were willing to hire Magnus and Maria on the spot, however. We would have to change plans and start out in Ulaanbaatar, the capital city. 
We were disappointed, but one expects many of these setbacks and last-minute changes in pioneer mission enterprises. So okay, Ulaanbaatar would be our temporary home. Contentedly, we continued our preparations until January 25th, when a fax from Hong Kong arrived informing us negotiations for our contract in Ulaanbaatar had fallen through as well. The reasons cited were, again, difficulty with rations and housing for a family of five. Jim's inside people, who had been arranging things for us, had to fly out to Hong Kong. We were told nothing further could be arranged until April. However, if we still wanted to try to come, it was risky, but Jim had no objection. I don't recommend you moving to Mongolia this winter with no arrangements in place, Jim told us when we called him in a panic. However, you may just be standing on the shore of the Red Sea. If you are, then you'd better step out and cross it. Our minds were reeling. We said we would seek God about what to do. What in the world was God doing? It felt like a punch in the stomach. A quick check confirmed our tickets were non-refundable. Besides, we had heard so clearly from God about going in February. We called together friends and the students of the School of Intercession in session at the Salem YWAM Center and went to prayer. The same morning we'd received the facts, two significant things had already happened. The theme of that morning's worship time had been, When the storm comes, I will not be shaken, for by your hand I am saved. After this time of worship, a friend had come up to me and shared a vision she just had. She saw our family running through a stainless steel door, which shredded as we crashed into it. She looked closer and observed that the door was only aluminum foil. When the facts arrived a few hours later, we knew the form our storm and door of steel were taking. It wasn't long before the answers to the prayers began coming in. The unanimous response from all those interceding confirmed God was asking us to trust Him and go in total faith without any guarantees except his goodness and faithfulness and call. We had always admired Abraham and the many missionary heroes who followed after him for their faith to go, risking all on nothing but the promises of God. This had always seemed so exciting and romantic. Now we were facing the same thing, and to be honest, it was scary. But to follow the dictates of circumstance and prudence over the commands of God would give the lie to everything we stood for and hoped to accomplish. So hard as it might be, our course was set. We would trust God to lead us and fulfill His word. Not willing or able to be completely passive, I contacted one man that I knew in Mongolia, Rick Leatherwood. Rick agreed to try and work out another contract for us, but discouraged getting our hopes up. He advised waiting for spring also. Human wisdom from those who were living there and familiar with the situation was a hundred percent opposed to our trying a February entry. But the answers to concerted prayers were continuing to pour in at a hundred percent, trust God and go. As February began, Rick faxed us. He had been unable to accomplish anything on our behalf. He urged us not to come. It was up to God alone now. Our last human means had failed. The very next day, we received a telex from two Mongolian friends I'd made on my September trip. Dear Brian, greetings in the name of our Lord Jesus. May your new year be filled with his love, peace, and wisdom. So sorry for late responding for your letter from 10-15-92. We've been busy. Also, we've been told that you have changed your mind to not coming to Mongolia. We would suggest it is better not to come in winter, especially this year. But of course, it's up to you, really. We're ready to help you as before. Just please let us know by telex. 
We've found out the way to get a visa for you. Just let us know from where you are going to come in. Here in Ulaanbaatar, we have very, very cold weather at present time. 30 degrees below. Be prepared and pray much. Blessings, Alder and Bat Jargal. This initially encouraged both of us greatly, but there was a hitch. We needed to telex them when and where we would be coming in from, so if they secured a contract, they could send the letter of invitation to the embassy granting our visas. Our many telexes were returned undelivered, and then it was time to go. I believe this kind of obedience that seems mad to all those around us must be the sweetest to the Father. We certainly felt his strong pleasure as we said our goodbyes and left YWAM Salem. After teaching two missions history lessons in the Seattle area perspectives classes on our last two nights in the United States, we took the leap of faith. Following tearful farewells with my parents at SeaTac Airport, we caught a puddle jumper flight to Vancouver, B.C. The biggest hurdle was just getting all of our luggage and three children together and through customs. We didn't have long to wait until we were on a 747 bound for Hong Kong, still a British Crown colony in 1993. A long and uneventful flight deposited us there 14 hours later. The only losses were a torn bag, a misrouted suitcase, and Melody, Molly, and Alice's sleep patterns. All three girls were up and raring to go at 2 a.m. We stayed in a hotel in Kowloon that was run by the Catholics. We managed to slip in two days of sightseeing during our three days in Hong Kong with friends from our hometown who managed a Christian bookstore in the city. As we rubbernecked from cabs and on foot, the throbbing breakneck metropolis assaulted our senses. Constant noise in our ears, exotic smells of Chinese street food, and the hyperkinetic pace of life there all made us feel an onset of attention deficit disorder. The contrast of peace and calm and spectacular vistas from Victoria Peak was the cure. We felt above it all as we picnicked with our hosts on this lofty perch. Our first miracle occurred on our second full day in the colony. I was meeting with Jim at his offices downtown on Hong Kong Island, halfway across the colony from Louise and the girls who were waiting in our hotel room on the mainland. Jim gave me the bad news. His organization specialized in placing Christian teachers and students in countries closed and hostile to missionary activity. This made it necessary for them to keep an extremely low profile. Their board had decided that the church planting we planned to do after language and culture learning could jeopardize their other workers outside Mongolia. Jim had wanted so much to help, but we all saw the board's wisdom. So very kindly and with much love, we were emancipated. We were still with YWAM, of course, but YWAM had no legal status in Mongolia. While we were talking, I happened to ask Jim if he was working on our visas into China. His face blanched. He'd forgotten. Normally it took two days, but our plane to Beijing took off early Sunday morning. There was one place to get a next-day visa, and it was right around the corner, but it closed in one hour. Did I have our passports? No. They were in the hotel safe in Kowloon, across Hong Kong and through the harbor tunnel at rush hour. Things looked grim, and it appeared that we would miss our next two flights. Because of the cost involved, we decided to attempt the impossible. We ran out and hailed a cab and told him to head for Kowloon and step on it. We plunged into almost total gridlock in the tunnel under the bay. It took a little over half of our precious time praying feverishly to reach our hotel and get the passports and photos. Then a frenzied return trip brought us to the China Resources Building with four minutes to spare. 
We were just in time to throw our papers in front of the clerk. Then I found that I needed two photos of each girl. God gave me the courage to extract a promise that I could meet them before opening the next morning, a non-visa-granting day, to deliver the pictures and still get the visas. This chain of miracles proved to us God had chosen us to penetrate Mongolia at this time against all human advice and circumstances. The trip to Beijing was pleasant, and we relaxed, knowing all we had to accomplish in our two days there was to secure our visas at the Mongolian embassy. Even though nothing had been settled when we left the States, I was flying high on faith that all would be well. The five of us piled into the taxi that the Hotel Dongfang's concierge had called for us. After all, I thought as we roared off toward Embassy Row, God had already delivered us from the worst opposition we would face back in Hong Kong. Surely the visas would be a breeze. Admirable en los cielos, el amor de su Espíritu Santo, por su gracia yo soy hombre nuevo, y de gozo se llena mi canto, de su imán soy un reflejo, que me lleva por siempre en victoria, y me ha dicho cabecino cola, en mi Cristo yo todo lo puedo, que Jesús me dijo, que me Señores, 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 Señores,